Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be going through renal dialysis. If you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash dialysis or in the renal section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Dialysis is a method of performing the filtration function of the kidneys but doing it artificially. So taking over the normal role of the kidneys artificially when somebody's kidneys have started to fail. It is used in patients who have end-stage renal failure or who have complications from renal failure and we'll talk about the indications in a second and it involves removing excessive fluid, solutes and waste products from the blood just in the way that the kidneys would normally do. So first let's start with the indications for acute dialysis. So this is dialysis in an acutely unwell patient. And you can remember this using the mnemonic of all the vowels, which is A-E-I-O-U. And these spell out the indications for acute dialysis in patients with severe acute kidney injury. So the A is for acidosis. So if there's a severe acidosis that's not responding to treatment. E is for electrolyte abnormalities, particularly severe or unresponsive hyperkalemia or high potassium level. I is for intoxication and it's used in overdose of certain medications where the only way to remove that is using dialysis. O is for edema, so severe and unresponsive edema or fluid building up in the lungs where the patient urgently needs that fluid removing for the lungs. And U for uremia, where there are symptoms of severe uremia such as seizures or reduced consciousness. So what are the indications for long-term dialysis? Well, of course, any of the acute indications that are continuing long-term will require long-term dialysis. And the other is end-stage renal failure, defined as chronic kidney disease stage 5, so an EGFR of less than 15. So what are the options for maintenance long-term dialysis? There's three options that you need to remember for your exams. The first is continuous ambulatory peritoneal dialysis. The second is automated peritoneal dialysis. And the third is hemodialysis. And we'll talk about each one of these in turn. The decision about which one of these types of long-term maintenance dialysis to use is based on the patient's preference, different lifestyle factors, other comorbidities, and individual differences regarding the risks of each of those. So first let's talk about peritoneal dialysis. Peritoneal dialysis is really quite clever. It uses the patient's own peritoneal membrane as a filtration membrane. So how they do this is they insert a special dialysis solution containing dextrose into the peritoneal cavity and then ultrafiltration occurs from the blood across the peritoneal membrane into the dialysis solution which is inside the peritoneal cavity. Then that dialysis solution can be replaced which allows you to take away the waste products that are filtered out of the blood. Peritoneal dialysis involves something called a Tenkoff catheter, and this is a plastic tube that's inserted into the peritoneal cavity with one end on the outside, and this allows access to the peritoneal cavity because obviously normally it's sealed. This is used for inserting and removing the dialysis solution. There's two options for peritoneal dialysis. The first is continuous ambulatory peritoneal dialysis, And this is where the dialysis solution is in the peritoneum at all times and there's various regimes for changing the solution. 
One example would be where two litres of fluid is inserted into the peritoneal cavity and then changed four times a day, so every six hours. And so this continuously allows peritoneal dialysis to occur. The second option is automated dialysis, and this involves peritoneal dialysis occurring overnight, and a machine continuously replaces the dialysis fluid inside the abdomen overnight in order to optimise the filtration that's taking place. And this usually takes 8 to 10 hours. There's a few complications to remember from peritoneal dialysis. The first and most important is bacterial peritonitis. And you can imagine if you're infusing solutions of glucose into the peritoneal cavity, creates a great place for bacterial infections to grow. Bacterial infection is common and it's potentially a very serious complication of peritoneal dialysis. The second complication is peritoneal sclerosis. And this involves thickening and scarring of the peritoneal membrane. And this makes it less effective over time. That brings us on to the third, which is ultrafiltration failure. And this occurs when the patient starts to absorb the dextrose that's in the filtration solution. And this reduces the filtration gradient between the blood across the peritoneal membrane into the peritoneal cavity. And when there's a reduced filtration gradient, the ultrafiltration is less effective. And this becomes more of a problem over time. The next complication is weight gain. And as you can imagine, if they're absorbing a lot of glucose and carbohydrates from the dextrose solution, they're going to gain weight because of that extra calories. The final one to mention is psychosocial effects. And there's a huge social and psychological effect of having to change dialysis solution and to sleep with a machine every night that's pumping fluid in and out of your abdomen. Next, let's talk about hemodialysis. With hemodialysis, patients have their blood filtered by a hemodialysis machine and the machine does the filtration. The regimes can vary, but a typical regime may be four hours a day for three days in a week where they're hooked up to a machine and the machine filters their blood. In order to have hemodialysis, patients need to have good access to an abundant blood supply. And there's two options for having good access to a blood supply. The first is a tunneled cuffed catheter and the second is an arteriovenous fistula or an AV fistula. First let's talk about a tunneled cuffed catheter and this is a tube that's inserted into the subclavian or the jugular vein with a tip that sits in the superior vena cava or the right atrium and the catheter has two lumens, one where blood exits the body and this is usually red and one where blood enters the body and this is usually blue. There's a ring called a dacron cuff surrounds the catheter and this promotes healing and adhesion of the tissue to the cuff where the catheter enters the body. And this makes the catheter more permanent and provides a good barrier to infection in the catheter line. And these catheters can stay in long term and be used for regular hemodialysis. The main two complications to remember are infection and blood clots. Next let's talk about arteriovenous fistula or AV fistula. An AV fistula is an artificial connection between an artery and a vein and this bypasses the capillary system and allows blood to flow under high pressure from the artery directly into the vein and this provides a permanent large easy access blood vessel with high pressure from the arterial blood flow 
In order to create an AV fistula, a surgical operation is required and a four-week to a four-month maturation period is required to allow the fistula to develop before it's able to be used. And during this period where the fistula is developing, they'll need some alternative form of dialysis, whether that's peritoneal or by a tunneled cuffed catheter. AV fistulas are typically formed between an artery and a vein in the patient's forearm. So this could be a radiocephalic, brachiocephalic or brachiobasilic. And the last one is less common and it's a more complex operation. So the most common one you'll see is a radiocephalic in the wrist or a brachiocephalic in the upper arm. When you want to examine an AV fistula, which is quite a common exam question, look for the integrity of the skin above the fistula, any aneurysms in the fistula, whether there's a palpable thrill, which is felt like a fine vibration above the anastomosis between the vein and the artery. And if you listen with a stethoscope, you'll hear a stereotypical machinery hum. And it's worth checking out some patients who've got AV fistulas just to be familiar with the signs. It's also worth looking for any scabs or pinprick marks that would indicate that the fistula is in active use. So what are the complications of an AV fistula? There's a few to remember. Aneurysms, infection, thrombosis, which is a blood clot, stenosis, which is narrowing, steel syndrome and high output cardiac failure. Let's talk briefly about steel syndrome and this is where there's inadequate blood flow to the distal limb after the AV fistula. So essentially the AV fistula steals blood from the distal limb. And because blood is diverted away from where it's supposed to be supplied, straight out of the radial or the brachial artery into the venous system, rather than going to the distal limb, the distal limb becomes ischemic. Next let's talk about high output cardiac failure. And this is caused by blood flowing very quickly from the arterial to the venous system through the AV fistula. And this means that there's rapid return of blood to the heart and this increases the preload in the heart. And the preload is how full the heart is before it pumps. And this can lead to hypertrophy of the heart muscle because it's dealing with extra load coming directly from the AV fistula and it results in heart failure. Finally, a quick Tom tip, never ever take blood from a fistula. This is essentially the lifeline of the patient and it provides access for dialysis. So if it gets damaged, it really sets the patient back. And if you've damaged it taking blood from it, you'll be in very big trouble. Thanks for listening to this episode on dialysis. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing this podcast. It wouldn't be possible to maintain the podcast without his hard work and reliability. If you found this podcast helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other podcast episode topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. It's got detailed and concise notes on 10 specialties in medicine with over 160 topics just like this, and it's designed specifically to contain the key facts and guidelines you need for your medical exams. Don't worry if you don't fancy picking up a copy of the book, you can find all the notes as well as videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerotofinals.com, and I hope you tune into the next episode which will be on renal transplant.